Amen. Man, what a joy it is to be here. Uh, as Keith said, I met Keith uh, 2008, so that was quite a, quite a few years ago, and we both had more hair, and uh, a lot of things have changed since then. But uh, it is a joy and honor to be with you all this morning. I want to just say thank you to the worship team for leading our hearts in worship. I know my heart was just warmed to a place where I could really appreciate and worship Jesus. Um, really quick, before we jump into the text this morning, I want to just say thank you uh, from my family to you guys as a church. You guys have faithfully partnered with us over the past three years as we've been able to plant a healthy, growing local church in Linko, Taiwan, which is an unreached area of the world. It's an area that needs the gospel. And so I have a, a few... This will work. I'm not sure. Um... There you go. Just a few pictures of, of, of what City Light Church is in, in Linko. This is us meeting outside because COVID was bad um, inside our space. And just to give you guys a picture of what you guys have partnered with us to do for the sake of the gospel. Uh, people have come to Christ. People have been baptized. And now we have a healthy local church in an area that doesn't really have many churches. And you guys were a part of that. And so thank you uh, for us, from our family. It was it was hugely important for us to be supported and prayed for. So we just want to say thank you. Um, now, this morning, uh, yeah, Pastor Keith has given me the opportunity to preach. And so with our Mission Sunday, um, I was thinking about what, what, can we, what can we sit on? What text could we preach about? And I remember many years ago, actually, when I met Pastor Keith, it was right before I got married. And before I got married, maybe you had this experience. Um, my idea of marriage was going to be something that was every single day was going to be exciting. It was going to be great. It was going to be perfect. At that point in our relationship, my wife and I, Allison, we hadn't argued very much. And so I remember thinking about marriage just being like, it's going to be great. Sitting across from the people that were doing our premarital counseling, I thought, I got this. You know, like, just, just, just save your time, save your breath. I got this. And thank God I had a good friend. And he sat me down and he basically explained to me what it was going to take to live out this journey of being committed, of being in covenant to this woman. What it's going to take, the highs, the lows, the struggles. And this morning, you guys, Jesus does a very similar thing for us as his disciples. Because when we talk about mission and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, there is so much excitement. There's so much passion But Jesus is going to sit us down, and if we'll listen with humble hearts, he's going to tell us what it's going to take to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you're taking notes or if you write stuff down, the main point of the sermon this morning is because Jesus has called and empowered you, you and I can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because Jesus has called and empowered you, you can be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here is the text this morning, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, if you'll read this with me. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Well, it's all right. I'll just keep reading it here. Greet no one along the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will enter. 
And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We pray with me this morning. Jesus, there is such an important thing that we have to talk about this morning in light of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It is a joy that you have partnered with us as your people to be a part of seeing the nations come to worship and to believe in you, God. What a joy. This morning as we consider not just the exciting aspects of being a part of this, God, but There are things we have to go through and struggle through as your disciples. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd bring joy through this message, that grace would hit the hearts of believers to know that we are called and empowered by you, Jesus, to see your fame grow to the ends of the earth. Help me this morning to preach your word. Give us hearts to listen and to hear. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus begins and he's talking to his disciples in chapter 10. In the context, if you look at your Bible, Jesus has just made this transition in his ministry where he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's made his moment where he set his face to go to the cross. And it's in this moment that Jesus calls 72 of his disciples and begins to lay out the task of them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to send out his disciples. And the very first thing that Jesus says to them He says this in verse 2. Someone said it earlier. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. The first thing that Jesus tells us about our mission to take the gospel is that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. Jesus describes the task of being sent out as a farming illustration. I don't know how many farmers do we have in the room. Anybody has a background in farming? Not many. Farming is difficult. And I love how Jesus begins, and he doesn't say that the task is going to be easy, it's going to be a a walk in the park, but he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. He's describing a difficult task. Now, harvest time for farmers, is it's the busiest time of the year. It's usually the most difficult time of the year. If you can imagine, if you're a farmer, you've planted your crops, you've waited for the rain, you've done the hard work of tilling the soil, and now you see your harvest ready to be brought in. But there's work involved because you have to bring the harvest in before the rain comes. There's work being involved because you want to bring it in before it spoils. And Jesus says in the same way, the task of taking the gospel is a difficult task. It's a task that requires faith. It's a task that requires getting our hands dirty. It's a task that requires us planting seeds and trusting in faith that God will bring the rain. There are so many stories, church, and I'm sure you know of some that Missionaries that have gone to the field and they've planted and they've prayed and they've shared the gospel for 5, 10, 15, 20 years waiting for God to bring the rain. And Jesus says it is very much the same way for you and for me. The harvest is abundant, church. He says it. It's abundant, but the task is difficult. He says in the same way that the reality of the harvest is not just abundant, but he also goes on and he says there's a problem. The laborers are few. I want you to imagine you're sitting out there, you're looking at your crop, you've spent all this time sowing and planting, you see it out there, that's your profit, that's your work, and then you look around you and you realize, I don't have enough people to help me to go and bring this in. That is a problem. 
You're going to lose money. You're going to lose a lot of work that you did. And Jesus says the harvest for the church is abundant, but there's a problem because the labors are few. And there's a, there's a lot of things that go wrong when we don't have enough workers. I remember coming back to the States this time after three years being gone. We just moved back in March. And I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Like, there are so many places right now that do not have enough work. And bad things happen when, when, there, when there aren't enough workers. I remember going to Chipotle and wanting my guacamole, and they said, we're sorry. We don't have enough workers. And I thought, man, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. The harvest is abundant. The labors are few. Amen? And so Jesus says that even though the harvest is abundant, the labors are very few. And, and, and what I want to talk about a little bit as we continue is I don't want to discount what you all are doing as a church, the, the value of local missions, the value of taking the gospel in this place of Garland, seeing what you guys are doing, going to the border. But I, but I want to bring our attention not just to local missions, but to global missions as well. And here are a couple of statistics for, for us to hear and to think about, because I believe that in this room, there are people that are called to go into full-time missions. I believe here this morning, there are people that are called to go into overseas missions. There is a place in the world called the 1040 window, and I didn't put the graphic up here, but just listen to these statistics. 69% of the world's population live here. 63% of the unreached people groups, people that do not have a church, have not heard the gospel, live in this area. 82% of the world's population live here, or of the poor live here, excuse me. Jesus looks at this place and he says the harvest is abundant. And you would think with so many unreached people groups here, that the church surely is sending all of our workers and all of our finances there. But here's the reality. Only 3% of missionaries work in this area. Only 1% of finances go here. Only 3% of missionaries go to this area, and only 1% of our church finances go there. And I want that to sink in. Because Jesus says the harvest is abundant. It is abundant. He's the Lord of the harvest, and yet the workers are very few. And City Church, I think you can be encouraged because you were a part of partnering financially with a church that was planted in an unreached area in the 1040 window, which is Taiwan. That's a very, very thing. That's a very, there's a very big thing that we can be grateful for as a church. As we look at these statistics, it's easy for us to be overwhelmed. It's easy for us to look at this problem and say, what do we do in light of the need that's around the world? And Jesus says, how do we respond to the fact that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few? He says, pray. He says, pray that we would be Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers out into the harvest. And I love that Jesus says pray because he doesn't say we need another clever recruiting scheme. He doesn't say we need another book or another conference. He says, man, would the church of God get on their knees and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. 70,000 people die every day in the unreached world without Jesus. 70,000 people. And Jesus, he says, who do we pray for? He says, pray for laborers. He he says, pray for workers, people who will be empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of the gospel. He didn't say pray for passionate people, excited people, educated people, celebrity pastors. He said, pray for laborers. And that is so encouraging to me. Because when I was younger and I first got into mission, I thought passion was one of the most important things in my life. But what I noticed, it's not. The most important thing for my life is to respond to the call of Jesus in obedience and work for the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying for us to pray for. Pray for people who can work. And church, all of us can do that. All of us can be a part of this. When we were in Taiwan, the, the space that we were meeting at, we, meet, we met at a, a Chinese, a Taiwanese church. 
And there was a pastor in there. His name was Pastor Fong. And Pastor Fong had been ministering for about 20 to 25 years. He had planted all these churches, 10 or 15 churches. And yet when he started, he talked about how they had a little hall. Just planted his church, maybe 30 or 40 people. And because he was the only staff member of the church, he said every every Sunday night after the service would end, he would go and he would have to mop the floors and he'd have to clean the bathrooms. And he said the whole time as he was cleaning the bathrooms and mopping the floors, he would pray these verses. Lord, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. God, I pray that you would send people here. I pray that you would just share. I pray that people would share the gospel in this neighborhood. I pray that the kingdom would go forward. And now, 20 years later, they've planted 20 churches in all these, in all these areas of Taiwan that have never heard the gospel before. And it started with praying. It started with praying to the Lord of the harvest because he's faithful to answer that prayer. So Jesus begins in saying, if we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, it is going to be difficult. But it be encouraged, Christian, because the good news is that since Jesus has called you and he's empowered you, you and I can face the difficult task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus goes on, and and I want us to follow the text because he's telling his disciples, and he says this in verse 3. He says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Not only does Jesus say this task is going to be difficult, but he says it's going to be dangerous. He says it's going to be dangerous. Now, I want you to imagine if you're one of these 72 disciples, you followed Jesus up to this point. I mean, you've heard him preach. You've heard him do miracles. You've seen him do all these things that he's done. And up to this point, you're like, man, I'm in. Like, he's healing the sick. He's, he's pushing back darkness. He's, he's preaching the gospel. I'm in. And then Jesus begins to send you out and he says, listen, the harvest is abundant, but the labors are few. And if you're like me, you're like, man, sign me up. Like, I want to be a part of that. And then Jesus says, okay, we'll go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. How many of us would sign up for a task that is as dangerous as this? I mean, if we're honest, if I'm honest, as I read this, I'm like, Jesus, please, can't you just go Old Testament here? Like, go and conquer, right? Like Joshua, be strong, be courageous. I'm going to send you out and you're going to conquer. But no, he says, I'm going to send you out like lambs among wolves. And here's the, here's the honest truth. Lambs are not a symbol of strength, are they? I mean, I ask my kids, and I'm thinking, there's not one sports team that I know that is called the lambs. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Lambs are needy. They're weak creatures. And all of us have seen what's happened when a lamb gets lost in the wolves, in the, in the woods. All of us have seen Discovery Channel. The wolves come and they get it. It's not a pretty picture. And yet Jesus is using this very vivid description of what it's going to be like to obey his call. And I want, us, I want that to sink in. It's a very vivid description that Jesus uses here. It will be dangerous. To take the gospel to the ends of the earth will require the church going into some of the most dangerous places into the earth. Three times in the text, he reminds you and me, people will not like you. They will just reject you. Not everybody is going to listen to your message. Not everybody's going to receive your message. He's preparing us for what it's going to take. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be dangerous. People reject you. You guys have experienced this, I'm sure, as you've shared the gospel. Not everybody wants to hear about it. And I think there is this struggle that we have. I know that I have. That some of us, including myself, we want to say, Jesus, if, if you will guarantee that my life will look this way, I'll obey you. Like if you will, if you can guarantee that the risk that I take or or the thing that I do will look this way, then I will obey you. 
But for me, the, the longer that I've followed Jesus and the more that I read the Bible, what is stunning to me is that my faith and my obedience to Jesus actually leads me towards danger and suffering, not away from it. That our obedience and faith many times leads us towards suffering and danger, not always away from it. When we were in Taiwan, a friend of mine, every Monday morning, he would go out to the marketplace. If you can imagine, Taiwanese marketplaces are like 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 football games. I mean, it's the most exciting part of their week. It's not sports. It's not this. It's the marketplace. They get their fruit. They get their vegetables. And it was packed. And every Monday morning, he would go out and he'd get a box and he'd set it on the on the concrete and he'd get up. And I went out there with him a couple times and he would preach the gospel. We'd use our Chinese and he'd just preach the gospel to anybody who would listen. And he would do that week after week after week after week. You know, we weren't, we weren't stoned. We weren't spit upon. Taiwanese are pretty hospitable. People actually bought us breakfast sometimes and they bought us coffee. But after months of this, my friend Scott, after he'd been preaching week after week, there was a moment when some of the business owners, they called him aside and they said, would you please stop? You are hurting our ears. We are tired of listening to you. We're just tired of it. And yet, Scott, because he believed that Jesus has called him and has empowered him, even though he was discouraged, he said, I can face this kind of rejection. I'm going to pick up my box. I'm going to move it down the street to this other place. And I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. See, the worldwide church understands the call of Jesus is not just difficult, but it is dangerous. 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month for the gospel. 772 forms of violence, beatings, kidnappings are committed against Christians every month. There's a statistic that said roughly 1.3 million Christians were martyred between 2000 and 2010. This is the reality of the worldwide church as they obey Jesus' call to preach the gospel. And it's our call as well. There's a book that I'll reference several times today, and I encourage you, if you can, pick it up. It's called Faith in the Wilderness, and it's a compilation of of sayings and, and chapters that are written by Chinese pastors in the church in China that faces persecution on a daily basis. And, and one of the pastors, named Pastor Leo, this is what he said about suffering and death, if we can, if we can put this one up here. He says, we face the danger of the lion's den every day. Maybe the virus will get us. Maybe an illness will get us. In this deadly world, there is no time to entertain and surf false gods that lead to death. We are called to practice death every day. To follow closely our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. Listen to this. The mission of a Christian is fearless faith in this deadly world. To a Christian, there is no change, there is no death. There is only a change of address. There is no death. There's only a change of address. Revelation 12:11 says this, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives even to the point of death. Even to the point of death. That for us as the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, it is going to be dangerous. And there's something that Jesus wants us to to get And he wants us to deal with in our hearts the fear that we have, maybe the struggle that we have of losing our lives for the sake of the gospel. And as scary as that is, church, that is not the scariest thing in the text. 
The scariest thing in the text, the thing that should actually awaken fear in our hearts and in my heart is for those who reject the gospel. That's the scariest part of the text. It's not that, man, some of us might lose our lives for the sake of the gospel. That's going to happen. But Jesus says that's not the thing that's supposed to create fear in us. He says the scariest thing is for those who reject the gospel. For those who don't hear, or for those who hear and reject the gospel of Jesus. And that's the urgency. That's the fear that Jesus wants us to understand. Which leads us to the next thing that Jesus says if we continue in verse 4. This is an interesting verse. Jesus is sending them out and he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and don't talk to anybody on the road. Don't talk to anybody. And all the introverts in the room said, amen. Finally, a verse that tells me I don't have to talk to anybody. Pastor Keith is not an introvert. Love it. Jesus, interesting text here. This command may seem very weird. Why is Jesus telling them, don't carry these money bags? Like, are purses sinful now? Is, is a money bag sinful? Is, is a backpack sinful? Like, what are we, we're supposed to go here. I can't wear shoes. Like, all you guys that went to the border, did you, did you sin because you wore shoes and you carried bags? It's an interesting command. But Jesus is, is telling his disciples something because it's, it's a verse that's actually used in the Old Testament. And the context here is, is about the prophet Elisha. If you guys remember, In the Old Testament, there's a prophet, Elisha. And one day, Elisha is sitting there, and his servant runs to him in urgency and his need. And he says that there's a boy who is working out in a field, and he just died. And so the servant runs to Elisha, and he tells him, and this is what Elisha says to him, Hurry, run, don't greet anyone, take my staff, lay it upon the boy so he will be healed. He's saying don't do these things because of the urgency of what you were called to do, the urgency of the situation. And what Jesus is saying here, right here, he's saying anything that distracts you or keeps you or, or is an obstacle to you and to me of obeying his call, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to deal with the distractions in our life. Around Christmas time, we were traveling in, um, in Taiwan and we got to stay at this beautiful place. It's called Sun Moon Lake. And while we were there with, we were there with another family and my boys and, and their boys were playing football and, and me and the dad were watching them and they were just going at it, you know? And so as dads, we were just, we were loving it. They're tackling each other. They're, you know, getting the ball, they're running through their place. And so we're laughing. We're, we're having a good time until this sudden scream erupted from the kids. And I saw my son, Isaac, he's on the ground, he's screaming in pain and I didn't know what happened. And so he comes to me and you can tell he couldn't lift his shoulder. He's He's screaming, he's crying, everybody's around us. And do you think in that moment I said, well, bud, like, I I know what you need, but it's almost dinner time. There's a lot of our friends here. Like, we had plans, okay? These are things that I wanted to do, so you're just going to have to wait until I can do what I need to do. I need to go eat dinner. I need to hang out. Do you think that's not, that's not what I did, right? Like I, I saw my son's need. I, I put everything else aside, anything else that I had planned. I put it aside because of the urgent need of taking him to the emergency room. He, he had broken his shoulder in the same way. Jesus is telling us there are distractions in our life, non-essentials in my life and in your life that keep us and distract us from obeying the call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Notice these are not bad things. A money sack and a purse is not sinful. Sandals are not wrong. 
And sometimes in my life, it is not the sinful things that keep me from obeying the gospel. It is good things that I make ultimate that keep me from obeying Jesus' call. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we have also a large cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin. There's hindrances and there's sins. There are things in our life that aren't sin, but there are hindrances, these good things that become sin because they distract us from obeying Jesus. And this is not just something that we can put off. This is not just something that we can kind of put to the side. We've got to get rid of it in our lives. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what it is for, for, for you in this context of things that have become ultimate in your lives. It could be a career. It could be retirement. It could be your family. It could just be comfort and success. It could be safety. I struggle with all of those things. And yet the joy of the gospel, the call of Jesus saying, would you take those things, would you put them aside? And would you lay them at my feet? And would you allow my call to be the most important, the priority in your life? I promise you, for me, when I stand before Jesus and I get to heaven, my number one concern will not be, man, I wish I played more golf. And I'm horrible at golf. But that's not going to be my concern. My concern is going to be, Jesus, you said all authority on heaven and earth is given to you. Did I really believe that? And did I live my life in the light of that? One church father says this. He says, often the sole cause of man's unhappiness is that he doesn't know how to sit quietly in his room and think about his author, his creator, and the end of his life. We are constantly distracted to not consider the weightier things of the gospel and of Jesus' call on our life. And I think one of our generation's greatest sins, it's not adultery, it's not gambling, but rather it's just the sin of being distracted. It's just true. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Just distracted with our lives. And I struggle with that. There are so many things that I fill my calendar with, that I fill my time with. We are far too often distracted. But the good news is this. Because Jesus has called you and he's empowered you, we can face the distractions in our life. We can deal with them. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the grace of God. There's a story in a book that I read recently about a Muslim Christian if you guys know anything about the Middle East, you know, being a Christian in, in that part of the world, it's not an easy thing to be. It's a dangerous part of the world, and his name was Kamal. And one day, Kamal was walking in a crowded marketplace on a Monday morning. It's the busiest time for this marketplace. And you can imagine, he's, he's walking around. Prior to this, the week before, there was a big terrorist incident, and so people were just on edge. And he's walking through, he's, he's looking around, he's the only Christian in his family, and all of a sudden he sees a cross and there's a woman starts screaming at him and says, you're the one, you're the one, you're the one. If you can imagine, he's sweating bullets at that point, thinking, what is this lady about to tell me? A woman came running up to Kamal and said, it's you. You were in my dream last night. You were wearing the same clothes that you have on now. Kamal, at this point, is complete, I'm sure he's, you know, relaxed because it's not something else, but he's completely stunned. And he asks her this question. He says, was I with Jesus? And the woman said, yes, you were with Jesus. In her dream, Jesus visited this lady named Noor and told her to ask his friend why he visited her. And the friend was Kamal. Kamal didn't want to go to the marketplace that day. He was busy. He had other things to do, but he laid those things aside and he went. And here's the cool thing about the story. All he had to do was show up. He just had to show up. 
Like Jesus did everything else in this lady's life and all he had to do was show up. And as I read this text and I look across the world, the question we have to ask is not, is God still working? That's not the question. The question I think we have to ask is, are we still going? Are we still going? He is still working. He is still moving. I mean, we don't have enough time to talk about what is happening across the world. It's not, is he still working? It's, are we still going? So because Jesus has called and empowered us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we can face difficulty, we can face danger, we can deal with our distractions. But then finally, Jesus says this, verse 9, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Finally, Jesus says, we can demonstrate the power of God's kingdom. How many of us know that the gospel is not just a message to be declared, but a message to be displayed? That it's it's displayed both in our speech, but both in our actions. It's both proclaimed, but also it's power. This is repeated all throughout the New Testament. In fact, there's a theme that runs through the book of Acts. That as God's mission goes forward, God's power is displayed. And I don't have time, and I'm sure we could sit and talk about how we've seen God's power manifested as we've taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you look at the book of Acts, 42 of the 44 miracles occur outside of the church as people are going and preaching the gospel. They're declaring and they're displaying. Many years ago, there was a, there was an article that came out in the Washington Times, which is not a conservative magazine by any, by any means. And they were doing this study on the outbreak of Christianity in China. They thought, how is Christianity growing rapidly in China? And this is what they said. The driving forces of growth of Christianity in China has been healing and miracles in rural places where they did not have access to any Healthcare. Jesus is still empowering. He is still calling and he's calling and he's empowering you and I to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. There's a really close friend of ours. Her name is Evelyn and she and her husband and her family were a part of City Light in Linko. And she talked about coming to faith in Jesus. She grew up as a Buddhist and she said when she was a teenager, she just had, she experienced a loss of blood in her body where she couldn't really stand up. She would faint. She would just be bleeding all the time internally. And, and a friend of hers that just became a Christian, she asked her, she said, man, can I, can I pray for you? I believe that Jesus can heal you. And so sure enough, Evelyn said, okay, I'll, I mean, I'll receive prayer. And so the friend laid hands on her and she prayed and she was healed. She was just healed. She was miraculously healed. She didn't bleed anymore. She could get up. She could walk around. She gave her life to Jesus. She married this wonderful man. They have three beautiful daughters. And now they're a part of City Light Lincoln, all because someone was saying, I believe that Jesus is calling me to demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God. There's a story that, that, that happened in Tibet. People that I know where in Tibet, which is a dangerous place for the gospel to go, there was a, a, a husband and wife where they opened up this cafe, this shop, and they would show the Jesus film as people came in to eat. And they hired two young high school girls that just became Christians. I mean, they were new. They didn't, they didn't go to Bible school, but they came and they started serving with them. And, and one night, the, the married couple had to go somewhere else to a conference to, to do something else. 
And they left the girls in charge of that restaurant that night. Now, unbeknownst to anybody else, the village people were getting angrier and angrier and angrier because people were coming to faith. And this was the night, out of all the nights, where they decided they're going to do something about it. They were going to go and kill and stop the people that are working in the cafe. So they brought their pitchforks, literally. They brought uh, farming tools. They brought all these things. And they marched to the cafe. And the girls are sitting there. Two high school girls are sitting there by themselves running this thing. And they see people coming. And they stop and they cry and they weep and they call them on the phone, the husband and wife, who are miles away, miles away. And the husband and wife, they get on their knees and they say, listen, I don't know what we can do for you. We've just got to get down and pray and ask God to do something. And the true story is, I know these people personally who told me this story. They said, as they walked out in the village, people got closer and closer. An angel literally came down and stood in between these two high school girls and the village people. The village people were stunned. I mean, shocked in the fear of God. They turned away. Many of them became Christians and never, obviously never bothered these people again. Because the reality is, is God cares about the gospel going to the ends of the earth, and he is empowering, and he's displaying his power for people to know him. As you consider this, and as we think about this, as you read this text, it's easy for us to think about, well, that's great for people who are out there. Like that's great for pastors, that's great for maybe missionaries, that's great for people that have gone to seminary, maybe they've done a course. But man, I can't do that. Like I like God doesn't empower just me, a banker or a teacher, or someone works for the city. Like that that's not how he works. And what I love is that I believe the Holy Spirit puts something here in the text for you and for me. For me for sure, because I didn't grow up this way. So this is for me. Chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says this or the text says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Others. Names not written in the Bible, not apostles. They didn't write any books. They didn't go on to be mentioned in church history. Other people called to empower to take the gospel. And I'm so thankful because we can read this and think, how can I be a part of this? And the reality is, is it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the one who calls and empowers you, which is Jesus. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to Bible school, which are all good things. But church family, you and I, you and I, no matter our background, no matter where we're at, are called and empowered to be a part of this great work that Jesus is calling us to do. Strong Christian, weak Christian, depressed Christian, struggling Christian, Jesus is called and empowered you. I promise you. The story of the New Testament is not strong Christians who do great things for Jesus. The story of the New Testament, the gospel, is weak and broken vessels who have a strong Savior who do great things through them. That's the story. And I'm a testimony of that. Because the reality is, and the good news of the gospel, is there is only one person who is obedient to God's call completely and fully. It's not you. It's not me. It'll never be us. Jesus alone faced the difficulty, the danger. He threw off any hindrance so that he might obey God's call and suffer and die to reconcile you and me back to himself. He did that work. Not you, not me. So that we can respond to him. He has obeyed perfectly, not me, not you. And since he has obeyed perfectly for us, we can obey. I love this quote, again, from that book, Faith in the Wilderness. It says this. This is a Chinese Christian suffering for the gospel, knows what you and I are going through. He says, the Christian's hope is this. Not that we are stronger or purer than others. Instead, rather than believing in ourselves, we believe in Jesus. We hear this, who upholds us when we fall, who comforts us when we give up, 
who strengthens us when our strength is dried, who loves us when we are in pain, who does not give up even when we are hopeless about ourselves. To every type of Christian, there is a perfect Savior who empowers you and calls you. God's power is made manifest through our weakness, church. Not through our strength, through our weakness. In our church, there were two missionaries who were missionaries in China, and they told a story about a struggling young believer who had just come to faith in Christ, and after they came to faith in Christ, they they experienced a lot of death in their family. They had a lot of problems, and they said, he said, these two young Christians, their uncle had just passed away in China. And I love this, because as two young Christians, like, when you're young, and you're young in your faith, it's so great because you read the Bible and you believe what it says. You know, it's like, yes, this is great. The older we get, the more kind of skeptical we can get. But when you're young in your faith, it's like, man, this is awesome. Let's just go obey. And these two young, and I wish I could stay a child like that. That's what Jesus says. But these two young Christians, they said their uncle had passed away. And so they said, well, we're going to, we're going to pray that God would raise him from the dead. And so these two girls, these Christians, they got on the phone and they called and they had learned that their uncle had passed away. And in that culture, in Chinese culture, the body doesn't go directly to um, the morgue or anything like that. It actually stays in the home for, for five or six days, maybe for a week. And so they prayed and they said three days later, this is, this is again, coming from verifiable sources. Three days later, they get a call. It's their uncle. He was raised from the dead just because these simple girls... Perfect, not perfect in their theology, broken vessels believed in a perfect and powerful Savior. Guys, anything is possible in Jesus through his resurrection and through his power. And here's the reality. Missions needs coaches. They need teachers. They need bankers. They need farmers doing what you love somewhere strategic for the glory of God. That's what missions need. Okay, we don't need perfect people, but we need obedient and willing people. And where your passion and need meet, we should go and serve there. I'm going to close with this just at the end of the day. I love that quote. He says, as we look at the worldwide need for missions, we have to face the difficulty, the danger, our distractions, but also know that we're empowered to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. And so all of us, every single one of us here, we have a part to play. And all of us here, I'm sure we have to ask our question. We have to ask this question this morning is Jesus, what do you want me to do? We can pray, we can give, or we should go. But all of us, all of us must have this call as the focus in our lives. It's not tomorrow, but it's today. You heard it earlier through the testimonies, not just overseas, but here in our workplaces in our homes, starting by believing that Jesus has called and he's empowered you. He's called and he's empowered you. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says this. It's been up here for a while, but this is the end of the story. Okay, this is where we're going. This is where the gospel's headed. This is what we're going to encounter, every single believer. This is what we're going to see. This is the Apostle John. He says this, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, which no one could number, standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb, They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. And if you look across the world, the powerful 
message of the gospel. There are people in South America who are saying that. There are people in Africa who are saying that. There are people in China who are saying that. There are people in Garland, Texas who are saying that. There are people in the Middle East who are saying these things. Salvation belongs to the Lamb, and we get to be a part of taking the gospel to more people who will be a part of saying that as well. I believe this morning, church family, that all of us need to be encouraged by grace to believe that we are empowered and called to be a part of this. If you lack purpose in your life, Jesus has given you a grand and glorious purpose. One that you don't have to walk out on your own, but one that he will walk with you on and he will empower you to do it. If you're here this morning and you don't know if Jesus really is Lord, Man, I just, I just appeal to you to consider what you've heard this morning. That Jesus doesn't just want you to believe simply. He wants you to submit your life to the lordship of him and, and see the joy that comes in obeying him as well. If you're here and you're struggling to know why or how could God use me, please hear what Jesus says. Others, 72 others, normal, everyday, broken vessels who are used for the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. This is your work. This is not ours. Man, you are doing an incredible work across the world. God, please, I ask by the power of your spirit, do not let this be something that we just hear in one ear and it goes out the other. Don't let it just be excitement. Don't let it just be like that seed that that springs up but then gets choked out by the cares of life and the cares of this world and wealth and all these things. Lord, there is a joy of surrender. And God, I ask that you would allow us to experience that joy this morning, that we would say wherever, whatever. Whatever you want us to do, Jesus, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. God, forgive us. God, we confess we cannot do this on our own. God, we need more than excitement. We need more than passion. We need more than ideas. We need a change and a transformation of our heart and our desires. So I pray you do that, God. Thank you that you are gracious. You're a loving king. You're a good and gracious father. You know where we're at, God. Lord, I pray for people here this morning. If there are people that are struggling with, with fear, God, or with depression or anxiety, and they don't feel like you could use them, God, I ask that you would bring relief this morning, Holy Spirit. God, you're sympathetic to our weakness. And you tell us and you promise that it's your strength that is made perfect and manifest in our weakness. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Sooner we pray. Amen.